So the catechetical reading for us tonight is found in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 2, question and answer 3 to 5. And so let us read this responsively together, loved ones. How do you come to know your misery? The law of God tells me. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22:37 to 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And now we find our scripture reading from Romans chapter 3, verse 9 to 31. The Apostle Paul says, What shall we conclude then? Are we, that is, we Jews, any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So far, the reading of God's word. May the Holy Spirit add his blessing to it as we consider it this evening. So as we're making our way through the Heidelberg Catechism together, 
And we're, we're here on Lord's Day 2. A quick word about the structure of the Heidelberg Catechism that I didn't get to last week. Uh, last week, we considered the three things that we must know in order to enjoy and rest in the comfort that we have in Christ. And those three things that we must know actually make up the, the structure of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's divided into three parts. So those three parts are guilt, grace, and gratitude. Now, this structure is modeled itself after the book of Romans, which has that same three-part structure to it. Uh, guilt in the beginning, then he moves to grace, and then lastly to gratitude. And so that structure that we find in the Heidelberg Catechism is one that is very biblical. It's one that the Apostle Paul used himself. But why? Why does the Heidelberg Catechism and also the book of Romans start there? Why does it start with guilt? Well, it is because we need to see our misery before we see God's grace. Even as we saw this this morning, we, we can't see our need of washing before we really realize how filthy we are with our sin, our woeful state we need to consider first. We need conviction of sin before the gospel brings us true and lasting comfort. And what is misery then? What is misery that we're speaking of? It's not really a word that we speak of or use much often today, but misery is the opposite, right? It is the opposite of our one and only comfort that we considered last week. It is the opposite of peace. And this itself comes from Romans 3, which we just read, verse 16 and 17. It says there, ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. And so ruin and misery are the opposite of the peace that we were meant for, the peace that God designed us for. We can think of sin's misery as the sort of upside-down version of God's shalom in this world. It is the opposite of what things should be. Things should be in harmony, in order, in peace, and love, and justice coming from God, but that is not the world that we live in. And it reminds me of an imagery in a popular Netflix show entitled Stranger Things. And in that show, uh, it's quite fascinating, but some scientists accidentally stumble upon this uh, interesting thing where they make a breach in between our world as we know it, and they kind of open up this portal into a nether world that the characters in the story call the Upside Down. And in the show, the Upside Down, it looks like this world that we live in, but it's dark, it's lonely, and it's filled with evil and these kind of monsters as well. It's not a place that you want to be trapped in because it messes with your mind and the darkness corrupts you if you're there. Well, in a sense, God's law is telling us that we live in that upside down world. This world is not as it should be. Sin has created a breach in the goodness of God's creation. And now we live in this world that is filled with darkness, loneliness, and great evil. And if you stay trapped in the upside down of this present evil age and do not enter into the kingdom of God by his grace through faith, well, that darkness will overcome you as well. See, this is the misery of sin that our first parents, Adam and Eve, brought upon us all. According to Paul's description of humanity here in Romans 3 that we just read, that apart from God's grace, humans are the evil monsters in this world, causing the misery that we find ourselves in. 
Our misery is the brokenness that we experience all around us and even the fault lines that exist in our own heart, the darkness that lies still within us. Now, I don't think many of us would jump to the conclusion quickly that our own sin is misery, but that is exactly what the Heidelberg Catechism is claiming because it is. Misery and sin are sort of bedfellows. Misery is sin's mistress. If you walk in sin, you are walking towards misery. They go together. The author of the Heidelberg Catechism, Zacharias or Sinus, says it this way. The misery of man is his wretched condition since the fall, consisting of these two great evils. First, that human nature is depraved, sinful, and alienated from God. And secondly, that on account of this depravity, mankind is exposed to eternal condemnation and deserves to be rejected by God. Now, as we consider our misery that we find ourselves in because of sin, I don't want us to get sidetracked in our faith here because God does not want us to sulk or wallow in our misery. He doesn't want us to constantly feel like guilty worms. That's not where God wants his children. Why? Well, God doesn't want us to be blind to the joy that he offers us in the gospel by focusing so much on our indwelling sin that we can't see the good that God is doing in us and in others that we love. God wants us to see our sin, yes, and he shows us that by way of his law, but he doesn't want us to only see our sin. He wants us to see our sin that has been eclipsed by his grace, not the other way around. He doesn't want you to get a big understanding of your sin that will dwarf your understanding of his grace, making his grace seem small. No, he wants us to see how big our sin is. Why? So that we can see how much greater and bigger his grace is, his love is for us. Remember, his grace always eclipses our sin. Now, I don't like to see my boys walking around with their heads down in fear of failure, in fear of not being approved, not being loved. Why? I want them to know that I love them no matter what, that even if they fail in life, that they already have my heart's love and approval. And if we study the Gospels in the way that Jesus taught, based on the logic that Jesus uses, if we who are evil have such loving concern for our own children, how much more does God, who alone is truly good, have a loving concern for his children in this way? Surely he loves us more and wants us to walk, not with our heads down, always in guilt and wallowing, but with our heads held high under his grace and love. So Christian, God the Father doesn't want you to doesn't want you to live with your head down in fear of failure, buried in guilt, or in search of approval. Why? Why? Because he fully loves you and perfectly loves you. And he approves of you completely already, despite your flaws that you have. He wants you to walk in that reality in the way that he sees you now because of what Christ has done for you. Jesus, think of this. He doesn't say in John 15... Abide in my law and feel guilty. No, he says, abide in my love so that you may produce much fruit. We must abide in his love that eclipses our sin. 
Now, does that mean that we have no need of repenting? No need of evaluating ourselves or changing our ways? By no means. We, we still need to. But God receives us as we are now with the plan and purpose to make us into something better. And we won't get any better by sulking in our guilt and shame. Because the law has the power to show us our sin and misery as we're considering, but the law does not have the power to protect us from our sin and misery or to remove it. So what use is it? Well, Paul has told us the use of the law here. One of the uses in Romans 3.20, he says that through the law, we become conscious of sin. And so the law shows us our sin in order to drive us to the safety of God's grace in the gospel. I think of this, it's like a, like a meerkat, those uh, kind of prairie dogs, right, that sees a lion and sounds the alarm for all the others in his tribe to burrow, burrow down safely underground. Well, we too need the law of God to see how dangerous our sin is, to sound the alarm to others, and then to burrow under the grace of God for us to take refuge in God's grace in Christ. We don't want to be like a, a dumb meerkat that sees the lion, sounds the alarm, and then freezes up with guilt and shame instead of seeking refuge. See the danger of your sin, yes, but then flee to Christ for refuge every time. Don't stay in your guilt and your sin. Because th- this is the first step on the way home to God, so to speak. We have to realize our sinfulness in order to see our need to find that comfort that is in Christ and in him alone. And the law was given, we're considering, to show us that. Our sin, our misery, and our need to flee to God in Christ. I was thinking of this. This is more of an analogy for the younger ones here. It's kind of like a Nintendo game console. And in the Nintendo games, there are sometimes these game code sequences they unlock a special feature. And so you have to hit the buttons on the control like up, down, A, B, R, L in a certain order in order to activate the code, in order to unlock that special feature. But you have to go through the whole sequence in order to activate it. You can't just stop at down and you have to, you have to push all the buttons in the sequence in that order or it won't work. And so too, how does this apply? You can't just stop at the law and see your guilt. You can't stop there to activate by faith the fullness of life that God has designed and wants for you. You have to finish that whole sequence. You have to lean into guilt, yes, but then lean deeper into grace and walk then in gratitude. In turn, we have to lean into each of these movement, movements, first the law, then the gospel, then the walk of faith. If you're only hitting the law button in your life constantly, Hitting that, you will feel guilty, ashamed, and dirty, and that will not give you any life. So finish that sequence of movement every time. Every time you see your guilt, run to Christ, run to the grace of God, because the grace of God eclipses our guilt and sin every time, and then walk in gratitude. This is what God wants for us as his children. Think of this, that from the beginning of time, God, the Father's heart, has always been opposed to the misery and sin and guilt that exist in this world. He does not want any of us to stay in our sin and misery. He tells us about our sin and misery for this purpose, the purposes of getting us out of our misery and sin 
in order to comfort us with his grace. By his law, God is telling us we are, in a sense, in quicksand so that we might grab a hold of his outstretched arm of grace, his hand reaching out to us, that we might grab onto his grace by faith so that he might pull us out of that quicksand, out of our misery. So don't wallow in your sin. God wants you to go through the full movement of faith from the law to the gospel to walking in his grace. And we repeat that cycle through life, right? So it's good to see that quicksand that you're in, feel the need to be saved, but don't sink in your needs. Don't sink in your guilt. God doesn't want to meet all of our wants and desires that we have in this life often because many of our wants and desires are foolish and he knows what is ultimately best for us, but he always wants to meet your need of him every time. He wants to meet your need of him every time. But why do we need to hear the law of God over and over again? Can't we just go through that movement once and drop the guilt and misery stuff and leave that behind? Let me try and answer that question for us. Do you know how sometimes you look at a person or people and you think, wow, they are so blind to their evil ways, to their nonsensical thinking. They just can't see clearly. I don't know. I don't understand how they're living in sin in that way, right? They only want to see things the way that fits with their own agenda. Have you ever had those thoughts here recently, perhaps, as you look at the world around us? Well, that applies actually to each and every one of us. We are all blind in some ways, blind to some of the evil ways that are in in our hearts still. And we have no idea how nonsensical our thinking is on some matters. And we too want to see things the way that we want to see them in order to fit with our agenda, in order to make it convenient for us. Our sinful flesh, does not want us to see our beloved sins and the misery they produce. And that is why we still need the law of God repeatedly, rightly read and rightly applied, because the law of God speaks to every aspect of our living and thoughts and our words and our deeds and to every situation as well, every relationship that we have, whether that's to God or with our neighbor, at home with your spouse Or on the road with a complete stranger, the law of God applies to every situation, every time. The law of God does not let any part of us go under the radar. Not at all. His law, in a sense, is like an MRI machine. You know, you've seen those where you kind of, where the person goes in, into the full machine, entirely engulfed, right? And so the MRI machine of his law puts our whole heart in. And it detects every defect, every flaw in your thinking, every disorder of desire, every idolatrous tumor growing on your soul. The law exposes things that otherwise are invisible to us because sin darkens our thinking and it blinds our eyes. We need the law of God. And so if we submit to it, enter into the kind of MRI of his law that examines us, that perfect law of God will give us an exhaustive evaluation of our heart. You will see the sinful growth therein that will surprise you. And again, drive you to to the grace of God in Christ. And then again, 
to gratitude. And so we often should be praying as we come under God's word and his law, Lord, I know I might have sin that is hard for me to see, like a tumor growing on my brain, unawares. So please show me by your law where my love falls short. Reveal where I am blind, where my sin is growing that I do not see, where I'm unaware of. And when we come under God's law in that way, it will, in fact, expose us. The law of God is exhaustive in its scope. But it will also, again, it will exhaust us if we only stay under it. Because we cannot live up to it perfectly. We are born with our sinful nature that is still inclined to hate God and hate our neighbor. That's what we read in the Heidelberg Catechism. And even if we have been born again by the Spirit of God and given now a new nature in Christ, and that is true of us if we belong to Jesus by faith, well, even then we still have within us that sinful nature that is inclined still to hate God and to hate our neighbor. And so we are, at the end of the day, devoid of righteousness that God requires, even with faith. Even with the strong faith and with the Holy Spirit's presence within us, we cannot do enough righteousness by God's law in order to be right with him. We cannot be justified by works of the law. We read in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. And so enters God's gospel. Not just the law, but his gospel enters the scene In Romans 3 there, that apart from the law, God has given us his own righteousness that we receive by faith alone in Christ alone. Where we have been unfaithful, God has remained faithful to his promises. He has sent his son to fulfill the law of love for us. And not only that, we consider that Jesus came into and entered into this upside down world this world filled with misery, and he suffered here alone in the darkness of our misery under God's just punishment that was aimed at us. Why? Out of love for us. Not because we deserved it, but because God loved us. We fail to love God as his law commands us. Love God first and foremost and love your neighbor as yourself. But God's love never fails. His grace always outwits, outlasts, and outplays our sin. And remember that the law, it tells us time and time again that God sees our sin and he shows us how great and big our sin is. But the gospel tells us that his grace is greater. His grace is bigger. His grace eclipses our sin every time, every time. We'll end there. Amen. Thank you, Father, for this reminder from your law, but also from your gospel. As you have brought us to consider our sin and misery, do not leave us there. Do not leave us in guilt. Leave us ashamed, but cover our guilt. Cleanse us with the blood of Christ. Remind us that you have robed us with the very righteousness of Christ. He who fulfilled the law perfectly for us, and you have made us right. You are the the one who is just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. We marvel at your grace that eclipses our sin. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to walk evermore in 
your grace to abide in your law and produce uh, by faith uh, works of righteousness more and more. This we ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.